Welcome back to the Grand Valley Church Podcast, a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope this message helps you meet Jesus and grow in faith. When I looked at the service order before, I didn't realize how fitting that song was for what our topic is today, to come as you are, to lay down your hurt, lay down your burden, let go of what's holding us back. Because we're starting our series Christmas together this, this week. We're coming into Advent and we're going to be talking specifically in a relational perspective. How do the themes of Advent shape our relationships with each other, with our families, with our communities, with our friends? But today we're going to start by focusing on ourselves. See, some of us may be coming into Christmas with maybe not a joyful heart. I mean, there's lots of reasons for that, and, and some of us are, the way we're coming into this Christmas season may be characterized very well by a critically acclaimed movie that came out in the mid-80s that we're going to watch a little clip from. How, how many may of us, now I'm not going to ask you to put up your hands, but just how many of us maybe feel a little bit like Scrooge this year? We'd rather say, bah humbug to Christmas and skip it. See, if you do, you're actually not alone. A study done uh, two years ago said that 45% of people they surveyed in Canada and the U.S., 45% said they would rather skip Christmas entirely and just go straight, you know, treat it as just any other month. See, many of us can have very valid reasons why, as we come to Christmas, we don't feel joyful. Maybe, you know, maybe you're a little bit sick of the over-commercialization, you know, every year it seems to start earlier and get longer, you know, we have this like Red Thursday, Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, Cyber Monday, like, how many more days of the week can they add to that? I mean, maybe sometimes, you know, like, I like Christmas music in, in small amounts, like, I'm not one of those people that, like, started, you know, October 1st with the Christmas carols. In fact, I don't know if our marriage would survive that if I, if I were that way. See, sometimes, I like Christmas music, but sometimes it's just too much of it. You know, everywhere you go, you turn on the radio, oh, it's Christmas music. You go into the mall, Christmas music. At home, Christmas music. Like, it's good music, but, but in small amounts. Or maybe, you know, maybe, maybe you're dreading the family get-togethers. Maybe you're thinking, you know, this hasn't been an easy year on our family and, and putting us all together overcrowded in a, in a house to have a meal together, you know, it's just going to be like shoving us all in a pressure cooker. And, you know, if that's specifically where you're feeling, you need to be here on the 23rd because for the week on peace, we're going to be talking about family conflict and how do we survive, how do we manage, how do we heal from family conflict but there's one other reason why this may be not a joyful season, and that's the fact that this might be a Christmas where a lot of grief comes back, because maybe there's going to be an empty seat at the table where a loved one used to sit, but this year won't be there. See, there's lots of reasons why when we come into Christmas, we may not feel joyful, yet the first week of Advent is joy. So how do we find joy when we don't feel like it? How do we choose to take a position and an attitude of searching for joy when everything in us may want us to feel a different way. And one, how I'm going to start us into this is one of the things we do around here is we have a version event. And so if you open up your device and go to the version Bible app and you go to the events tab, you'll find our church there. And in that 
event, you'll find some links. And I want to ask you some questions this morning. And the first one is just a survey. It's a multiple choice question of saying this, what's your usual attitude towards the Christmas season? What's your usual kind of default starting point when you come to the Christmas season? And I'm going to ask two more questions a little later on. We're going to have some time to discuss these together before we wrap up today. So again, that's in the YouVersion Bible app if you want to find that. But here's where I want to start from. And this is my theory that I'm, I'm basing this, that I'm starting it on. And that's this. I think that Christmas amplifies the attitude that we bring into it. So if we come into Christmas feeling discouraged and let down and disappointed, the Christmas season is just going to amplify that feeling of discouragement. But if we choose to say, let's come into Christmas with an attitude of joy or seeking and longing for joy, I believe that Christmas will amplify that and that by the time we come to December 24th and December 25th, we can actually take real tangible steps towards joy. But just as, as Nikki was saying during the, the worship set, that joy doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect. In fact, finding joy usually happens in the midst of when everything is not perfect and not wonderful. See, how many, you know, if you're on Pinterest or you're on Facebook, you know, how many times do you see someone else's perfect decorating? Like, you know, I, I was scrolling through my newsfeed and I'm like, people are like, they've got their third Christmas tree up already? Like, third? Why would you even have a second? Like, one. Like, or, or maybe it's, you know, the, the dinner spread that, like, looks like it rolled straight off a cooking show. And you're like, man, you know, my, I can't carve a turkey to look that nice. Or, or whatever it is, you know, all the time we tend to compare what we're doing for Christmas with everyone else. And, and whenever we do that, we always lose those comparisons because we're comparing the best of someone else's Christmas with our whole Christmas experience. And see, if we try to make the Pinterest perfect Christmas, you know, you may succeed at that, but have you actually succeeded in finding joy? You know, did you cook a dinner spread that is so perfect that you tell everyone, just sit and look at it, we're not going to eat it because this is too beautiful to eat, you know? I don't know what I would do if I was at someone's place and said, yeah, I cooked this, this beautiful looking meal, but we're not going to eat it because it just looks so good. Like, there's no joy in that. The joy in the meal is eating it, right? See, if we try to push for the perfect, we think everything has to be wonderful in order for us to find joy, we won't find it. Because the truth is that the Christmas story is a story of finding joy in the midst of everything being stressful, in the midst of everything being filled with tension, in the midst of everything going wrong. And that's really what stands out when we talk about joy in the Christmas story, and that's where we're going to go now, is the fact that stress and tension are not a stranger to the Christmas story. In fact, we find joy through the stress and the tension. And I want to give you a bit of backdrop to the Christmas story that we find in Scripture that Matthew and Luke, uh, we have four gospel accounts of Jesus' life, and two of them start when Jesus is already an adult, and two of them start with Jesus' birth, Matthew and Luke. And so we're going to kind of jump between Matthew and Luke because they each tell different parts of the story. But the backdrop of first century Judea, the backdrop of Mary and Joseph, is that Judea, the, the nation they live in, is under oppression. Rome has taken over the known world. They took it over from the Greeks. And Rome is the center of power. They're the dominant superpower of the world. And, and as such, they expand their borders and they overtook Judea years and years and years ago. 
And Judea is under this Roman oppression. Now, it's actually not too bad for Judea compared to other, other civilizations of that time. Because Rome basically leaves Judea alone as long as two things happen. One is there's a constant flow of tax money going into Rome. And the second is as long as the, the nation is peaceful and they don't revolt. So basically, pay your taxes, don't revolt, we won't come in and slaughter you, is Rome's perspective. And the taxes were a form of economic oppression. It's how they prevented the nations that they conquered from ever rising up to fight back was by overtaxing them to kind of hold them down economically. And so Mary and Joseph are living in this world where they're under oppression from Rome. And they don't maybe see it day to day. Like it would only be if they went into Jerusalem that they would see Roman guards standing on street corners. For the most part, the people living in the countryside, the people living in in Nazareth, you know, Rome was just this constant thought in the back of your head of, are we going to be able to pay enough tax this year? Are we going to make it? Or are they just going to come and take from us? And on top of that, there's a deeper piece of stress. And that's the fact that for 400 years, God has not spoken to his people. See, in the Old Testament, we have all these stories time and time again of of God sending and anointing a prophet to come and speak and lead the people and shape them towards who God is calling them to be. But at the close of the Old Testament, until the beginning of the New Testament, there's this 400-year period where God chooses not to speak because the time is not right yet. And so the people, the only way they know God is through their scripture, of they don't have the ability to, to hear from God. They don't have prophets and messengers being sent to them. And so they're stuck in this moment of people are starting to wonder and say, like, is this really real? You know, are these stories of our ancestors true? Because nothing we're seeing right now collaborates with what we've seen before. And so in this 400 years of silence and oppression, this is the moment where God chooses to step into the story. And God sends the angel um, named Gabriel to come and speak to Mary. In the six months of Elizabeth, that was Mary's cousin, in the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. This is a momentous occasion. God's four centuries of silence has been broken. And there's a promise in this. The Lord is with you. But Mary's response is terror. She is confused and disturbed by this. I mean, think about it. If you had never heard of someone ever being visited by a messenger from God, you know, your, your, your teachers, your rabbis, your parents had taught you, you know, God doesn't speak anymore. We just have scripture. And all of a sudden, one day as you're going about your business... This angel shows up, and Mary at the time, she is between 13 and 15 years old, probably 13 or 14 years old, a teenager. And this angel shows up, and her response is to be confused and disturbed. Now, there's multiple reasons for that. First of all, you know, like we said, this is the 400 years of silence. Angels don't just do this. Secondly, there's this message the angel's about to give her, saying, you will give birth to the Messiah. You're going to become with child and you're going to give birth to this child that you're to name Jesus. And the, and the angel says this, don't be afraid for you have found favor with God. This is supposed to be a promise of hope, a promise of joy, a promise that things are changing and going to be different. 
But here's the catch. Mary is engaged, but she's not, mar- she's not married yet. And the first century Judea, to be pregnant out of wedlock was a giant mark of shame upon you and your family. You know, she could be uh, at best kicked out of her family for this. She could actually be executed for it under their law. So suddenly becoming pregnant before you're married carries this harsh penalty, but she's supposed to see this as, as favor from God that this angel has shown up? I mean, what's Joseph going to think? And we're going to go there in a moment. But she gets told she's going to give birth to the Son of God. Now, this as well comes with its own tension because Mary would know the history of her people that over the last 100 years, there's this time period that historians call the time of the Jewish revolts. And what would happen is is several times per year and often in like different parts of the country at the same time, groups of men would get so fed up with Rome that they would choose to arm themselves and try to fight back. Now remember, Rome left Israel or Judea alone if they paid taxes and kept the peace. And this was a time period, about 100 years, of these revolts happening on a regular basis. And oftentimes their leaders of these revolts would take passages from the Old Testament and apply it to themselves and say, I'm the chosen Messiah. We're going to drive Rome out and we're going to take back Judea to be an independent nation. We're going to have freedom again from the taxation. We're going to have freedom from Rome's oppression. Does anyone want to wager a guess what happens when you, as a group of untrained you know, farmers or craftsmen, take on the military might of Rome? Anyone want to guess what happens? You lose. You lose badly. In fact, there's times where the Roman historians record that they executed thousands of these revolutionaries at once because Rome would just walk in and just march right over them because you can't fight against Rome and win if you're an untrained army. And so Mary knows when she's told this that her child is going to reign over a kingdom that never ends. In her mind is all these failed revolutions that are happening in her mind is knowing, is this going to bring more problems on us? Because whenever one of those revolutions would fail, Rome had two responses to it. Increase the tax, and they would execute family members. They had reprisals against these communities that would rise up. And so there is a deep, deep level of tension and discouragement in this message. That's why Mary is confused and disturbed. But after the angel tells Mary the promise, this is her response. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left. That's not a overly enthusiastic, yes, this is God's plan. Yes, I'm part of this. It's, well, may this come true. It's a choice to walk in this and see what happens. See, Mary cautiously agrees with what the angel says. You know, there's a bit of hope in this, but it's not an overwhelming hope. And so then there's the other side of the story. What does Joseph think about this? I mean, put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a moment. If your fiance comes to you and tells you this story of an angel visited me and told me that I'm going to be pregnant and the baby that I'm going to give birth to is the son of God, is the Messiah, the savior that's going to free us, that's going to set up a kingdom that never ends. What do you think Joseph's response would be? You're crazy. You're covering up an affair, aren't you? You went and did something you're shameful of, and now you've made up this story, and I'm supposed to just go along with it. Like, that's got to be 
Joseph's response. And in fact, we go over to Matthew, Matthew 1.19. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man. And it says he did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. His plan was not to ridicule and shame her, but just to say, I'm going to be done with you. I'll go, I'll go look for a new bride. We don't know exactly how he would have been able to do that in, in, under the rules of their culture of the time. But when he has this stress, he says he plots a quiet divorce. But God doesn't let that happen, does he? The next verse, as Joseph considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said to him, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived of the Holy Spirit. She will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. See, this changes Joseph's mind. He realizes that Mary's telling the truth, that God is doing something. God has broken the 400 years of silence. But he has all the same stress for the same reasons that Mary is. See, tension and stress are part of the whole Christmas story. It's not this perfect Hallmark card. You know, we all have, you know, maybe you have a little nativity scene set up and they're smiling and they're wonderful and they're happy. That's not really the backdrop of the Christmas story as scripture presents it. And in fact, we haven't even talked about what happens after Jesus is born when the wise men show up from the east and they go to King Herod, who's the puppet king that Rome has put in power to keep the peace. And Herod says, well, go find this new king and then come and tell me so I can go worship him. Herod has no interest in that. Herod's only interest is he wants to kill this potential threat to his rule. And so the wise men find Jesus, and then they're warned in a dream not to tell Herod, and so they escape out of the country. And Herod, what he does is he flies into a rage, and he orders that every boy under two years old must be killed. And there is a great infanticide that happens of children being killed by Herod's army, all for the sake of trying to end the life of this Messiah. So what do Joseph and Mary do? Before this happens, an angel shows up to them in a dream and says, flee to Egypt. And so Joseph and Mary flee as refugees with their infant baby Jesus into Egypt to escape Herod and stay there until Herod dies. This is not a happy story. This is a story of tension and stress. But I want to rewind because in the midst of this tension and stress is where we find the joy that Christmas brings. See, if we rewind to the night that Jesus was born, we know that, David, or that Mary and Joseph had to go to Joseph's ancestral home of David, which was Bethlehem, to register for the census. And so they get there, and this is Joseph's homeland. Like He should have a lot of relatives, but none of them are willing to take them in. They can't find room at the inn. They go to the stable. And Mary gives birth in a stable. And then something happens. God can't leave this moment alone without celebrating it. And so there's a group of shepherds nearby. And this is what happens. That night as there was shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the radiance of God's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. Again, angels show up, terror. That's the default response. It's kind of hilarious. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. 
It goes on and says, And you will recognize him by the sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, laying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. We may be more familiar with the old King James translation, where it says, Peace on earth and goodwill towards man. See, this is an announcement of what is coming. And these shepherds, they go and they find Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. And it's the beginning. They are the first witnesses to this moment of God stepping into the world through Jesus. And their response was joy. See, nothing changed in that moment. The shepherds and all of Judea are still under Roman oppression. They're still under heavy taxation. They're still under this threat that at any moment Rome could change their mind on their policies and wipe out Judea. Nothing has changed for them, but they have found joy. See, joy is found in the promise that the tension and stress that we feel will not last forever. So even though we may be coming into Christmas feeling tension and stress, the joy is is that we don't have to stay in those places of tension and stress. We don't have to stay in the state of being overwhelmed. We can choose to find joy. I want to go to one last passage of Scripture before we get to our conversation questions. See, later on, much later, uh, a guy named James writes a letter to the churches. Now, James is an interesting character in Scripture because James is one of the biological children that Mary and Joseph have after Jesus. He's essentially a brother to Jesus, and he becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem after Jesus' death and resurrection. I mean, imagine having that weight on your shoulders. You're the brother of Jesus, leading the church in Jerusalem, the capital. That is a lot of weight and a lot of pressure. And this is a time when Christians were being persecuted. And this is how he begins his letter that he writes to the churches to encourage them. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any time come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. We don't tend to think troubles and joy go hand in hand, but that's what James is calling us to. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now James wasn't writing about feeling stressed about Christmas shopping and family gatherings. You know, we we know that when we read this. He was talking about trials and temptations that were actual persecution of Christians being executed by the religious leaders and being executed by Rome. Christians being excommunicated out of their families because they chose to realize and come to faith that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the promised Savior. But James notices this, this connection that when we are in the midst of stress, when we're in the midst of tension, when we're in the midst of trials, those are the moments where we can find joy if we look for them. See, when the angel showed up to Mary and Joseph, they were filled with stress. But they saw joy in what was coming in this promise. It would be 30 years after Jesus' birth until he would start his ministry. 30 years of Mary holding on to this promise that someday her oldest son was going to do something that no one had expected and no one would, would see as a possibility for a carpenter's boy from Galilee. And Galilee is like the backwoods of Jerusalem. 
They're like, you know, the, the hillbillies of Judea. And Jesus is supposed to come out of this and do something amazing. See, this is the message that James gets at. This is the message of hope that, and joy that we see through this. If you want to find joy this Christmas, you have to make a choice to look at the promises of Jesus more than the stress of the season. If you're coming into this and you're saying, I don't feel joyful, well, what are you choosing to look at? Are you looking at your stresses? Or are we looking at the promise of what Jesus' birth creates? Of the fact that, that through Jesus we have a direct relationship with God, that through Jesus God speaks to us regularly, that we can have a deeper relationship and a deeper walk with God. If we're feeling stressed, are we looking at the stresses of the season? Or are we choosing to look at the promises of Scripture, at the promises of who Jesus is, the promises of what He's going to do? Which way are our eyes looking? Because remember, Christmas, I believe it amplifies whatever attitude, whatever state of mind we're in that we come into Christmas with will get amplified over these next four weeks. So it's up to us to make a choice. What do you want to focus on this season? Do you want to focus on the stress and the tension? Or do you want to focus on the promise of joy, on the promise of a deeper relationship and a deeper walk with God? Because that's really what Christmas is pointing us to. And so I want to ask these two questions. And if you're on the YouVersion event, there's a link you can click, and it goes to a little form, and you can, if you don't want to speak up, you can type something, and it'll pop up on my screen here. I'm also going to ask Alan. He's got a microphone. And so if you want to, to speak up and respond to one of these questions, just throw your hand up, and Alan will bring you the mic. That way we can all hear what you have to say about this. Because we want to have a conversation about these topics, not just a one-sided me up here speaking. You know, we believe that God can, can say, can encourage us through every one of us who are here today. And so I want to start with that first question, which was just a multiple choice. So hopefully some of you have, have popped in and given your response, or else it might be skewed one way or the other. So if I pop this up, say, what's your usual attitude towards Christmas? And I gave you five options. And they ranged from bah humbug, I'd rather skip Christmas entirely, all the way to it's the most wonderful time of the year. And what's surprising is the I love it side is really winning out. A third say, I love it, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Half say, I'm looking forward to it. Only 11% are neutral. And the rest of you just aren't honest enough? Maybe? Or maybe you're just like, I don't want to skew the statistics. I'm just teasing you, it's okay. If we're a group that loves Christmas, that's even better. I'm happy with that, but... I don't want us to take the assumption to say, oh, and it's slowly changing as you guys are adding more to it, so maybe we'll revisit this um, once the more honest people that are... It's, it's anonymous. I don't know who's posting this. It's okay. Um, <laughs> but I want to ask this second question. How do you want to feel this Christmas? If you have the opportunity of looking at Christmas and saying, how do you want to feel? What, what attitude do you want to have through the Christmas season? What comes to mind? Contentment. You want to feel contentment. You want to expand on that a little bit? No. (laughs) (laughs) I want to not not want, which is a habit of mine, is to always want. I I want want. to not want. Yeah. I like that. That's a good phrase. Uh, Anyone else? Typed in online, 
how do you want to feel? And, and three very positive uh, responses of saying they want to feel loved, they want to feel blessed, thankful and at peace, want to feel generous and hospitable. What else? What are some of the things we want to feel coming into Christmas? Does that cover it really well? I can pull the wedding thing and say, speak now or forever hold your peace. So let's look at this third question. If those are the ways you want to feel, what practices or habits do you need to start now that will carry you through this Christmas season? What are the practices and habits to start now that will take your attention away from the stress and towards the joy of what this season is really about? Um, And there's a couple of responses here of saying planning for the Christmas shopping meal prep. You know, if you plan it out, you won't be as stressed out. That's a good line. Plan out instead of stress out. That's a good one. Music, events, food, being thankful for what I have and and for what Jesus is doing for us. Making sure to reflect on God's gifts, love, and provision for for mine and my family's life daily. What else? What practices or habits do you... Do you need to start now to carry you through the Christmas season? Any, any thoughts on that? Uh, well, there we go. Uh, growing up... Uh, we weren't allowed to celebrate Christmas, although my grandmother always made sure that we celebrated Christmas. Um, but just not overdoing it now that I'm free to do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. And I know that some of my family members have, you know, two or three Christmas trees at least, because they can. Mm-hmm. And just uh, the reason that we were given the, to not celebrate Christmas is that we're supposed to just celebrate Christ every day. So just keeping that in mind that we're celebrating Christ, we're not doing it to, to just materialistic stuff. Yeah, yeah the, the attitude piece of why is, is such a deep thing that, that for all of us, whenever we have a desire towards this of saying, like, how are we going to celebrate this? How are we going to do this? Asking that why question, why does this matter? And in fact, that's a great segue into what our next Sunday is going to be because next Sunday we're talking about how do we create traditions that matter, um, not just traditions for the sake of doing the same thing each year. But that, that piece of what's the intent, what's the attitude of saying this is about celebrating that Christ came into our lives. And yes, it's great to say we ought to be thankful and celebrate that every day of the year. But there's nothing wrong with, again, as you said, there's nothing wrong with celebrating it through December and saying this is the season. Because, you know, as I said before, what I love about Christmas is this is a season when people are actually open to talking about spiritual things. People are actually open to talking about Jesus. People are actually open to talking about the reason why Christmas exists. And it's almost like sometimes there may be people that you want to have a conversation about faith with, and Christmas is actually a time when people tend to be a little more receptive to that and might actually be willing to talk about it. And those are things to look forward to. Those are moments to find joy in that. Any other thoughts on this one? If you, uh, what practices or habits 
do you need to start now to carry through to the Christmas season? There's one that came in online here just recently saying, choosing to get back in line with God and filling my life with his work. Of saying, how do I orientate myself towards my relationship with God? And not let it just be about the, the consumerism or the materialism that seems to go hand in hand with Christmas these days. See, I want to come back to that line that I just mentioned a moment ago. Of saying, if we want to find joy this Christmas... We need to look to the promise of Jesus more than the stresses of the season. And again, it's that piece of how do we come back to the intent? See, when Mary and Joseph were visited by an angel and given this promise that they would have a son that would become the Messiah, all the stresses would come immediately. You know, and it's the same thing for us. When a situation comes up, how much quicker are we to see the negative in it? to see the problem, to see the pain, to see the frustration. But through those pieces, as Mary, there's a verse, um, I didn't put it up on screen, I should have, that Mary took all these pieces, all these things that were said about Jesus, and she took them to heart and meditated on them. It was 30 years from Jesus' birth to when he started to preach and teach and began his ministry. For 30 years, Mary had those promises in mind that someday this son that she was raising would not just be her son, but her son was God's son. God himself stepped into the world to make a way open for a deeper relationship with God. Holding on to a promise for 30 years, that's tough. That takes dedication. But that takes joy of choosing to see what is good, even in the midst of the stress and what's difficult. And so I want to close us on that thought of saying, how do we need to look towards the promises of Jesus this season as we come through these four weeks leading up to Christmas? How do we focus on the hope, the joy, the peace, and the love that Jesus brings into our world instead of getting overwhelmed by the stress? And so let me pray for us before we wrap up. God, we thank you that you saw fit to come into the world as a child, as an infant that is incapable of doing anything for itself so that you would grow, that you would become who we needed the most. You didn't just step into the world fully formed, ready to teach and preach but you saw fit to step in the world in this way that we have this example of joy and hope for the future. And Lord, I pray that for for us, for our community of faith, that you would help us in this challenge to look at your promises and how they bring joy instead of being overwhelmed by the stress of the season. And Lord, I pray that even as we all have burdens and stress and, and difficult things on our minds, just as the songs we sung earlier this morning said, would, would you help us to lay these down, to hand them over to you, so that instead we can pick up a deeper relationship and a deeper walk with you, because it's through trials, it's through difficulty, that we grow in our walk with you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would see this season as an opportunity for growth, that we would walk faithfully in your presence. And we would experience that the joy of this season comes because of who you are. Amen.
folks next week, uh, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about hope. How do we build traditions that have meaning and intent and draw us towards the meaning of Christmas? And also, I want to invite you, if you're planning on being here for the 24th, get your ticket early. Let us know you're going to be coming. Let us know so that we can plan for this. It's going to be an amazing event to be here for. And it's always the piece of Christmas that I look forward to the most. So folks, I hope you have a great week and we'll see you next Sunday. We hope this message helped you to take the next step in your faith journey. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 11 a.m. You can find out more about us by going to mygrandvalley.ca.